Hello. <laughs> Welcome back to Coffee is for Closers. It's Matt and Pat, and we're going to talk about crypto and how we lost all our money. <laughs> <laughs> so did everybody else. Ex-Special Forces sniper turned entrepreneur. I've scaled numerous businesses to eight figures. My name is Matt Ryder. This is my podcast, and I'm telling you to put that coffee down. Uh, so, crypto. Um, not great. Things aren't looking great at the moment. No, not really. Mm. No, even some of the big crypto coaching companies have pivoted mm-hmm. to... What uh, are they teaching now? <laughs> uh, like, I think sort of some of the ones that I've seen, because I'm on the email list, have yeah. pivoted to like, we have exclusive access to new investments. Yeah. So they're going to go into like more of like a, I guess, a VC mm. type model. Not like how to make stone tools and stuff like that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like back to... It's been interesting. You know, I think I think is... Uh, the, the latest one was FTX and Binance, mm-hmm. right, going at it. And then so my, I mean, you might have done some research, but my th- my uh, take on the situation is that FTX guy is gobbing off or Binance guy then started shit-mouthing FTX. And then I think he held a bunch of FTX mm. and then kind of ransomed it and then just like publicly was like, I have no faith in this platform. I'm going to yeah. dump all my holdings. And then the guy was, no. And then old mate from Binance came in with a very small check and said, I'll bail you out, buddy. Mm. Um, and I think old mate probably took that money himself. Oh, he didn't take it. No, no. They, oh, no? No, so they just wrote it into the ground. Just bye. Yeah. Capitan. Yeah. So, I so think is it officially closed now? Like what yeah, so I, so I had my crypto was on FTX. Congratulations. Uh, yeah, thank you. Uh, my former crypto, I'll refer to it from here on out yeah. as... Um, Same as the Matt Damon. I mean, uh, I think the real Matt Damon's the one we really got to think about. <laughs> Did he? He was the one that was like fortune favors the bold. Really? And it was the big FTX. Was that FTX or crypto.com? I, I think it was FTX. I don't know. And they bought that state. They bought the rights to the stadium and everything. That's got to be a bit embarrassing. Yeah. Well, so as is right now, uh, there basically is no FTX. I got a letter. I got an email saying. You got that, a letter. Yeah. <laughs> I got a, they can't afford the servers. Yeah. And I got an email from the. They've filed bankruptcy. Uh, so I got an email from the administrators. They've filed back bankruptcy under like 130 different entities um, have gone into administration. I guess that's all the different things around the world. Um, and so they're done. It's over. Uh, and I think the latest I Where saw that was that, go? well, th- there wasn't money. So that's the issue, right? So he was doing the like fractional reserve lending, which is the whole thing that everybody is like against real banks for. Fuck them. It's not real. Crypto's real. It's like a finite resource and blah, blah, blah in, you know, certain coins. Uh, and then turns out he was like full of shit and was dodgy the whole time. And You know, it must be funny because like I saw an interview with him with like some traditional bankers, right? Mm-hmm. And they were like, what you were describing as a Ponzi scheme? He's yeah. like, nah, you just don't get it. Yeah. They're like, no, no, no. We get it. Yeah. <laughs> just do, do you get it? Yeah. <laughs> like they explained it back. He's like, yep, that's what it is. He goes, that is a Ponzi scheme, my friend. Yeah. And it was a, quite an interesting because they're like institutional investment bankers who know their shit. And it was like, this guy thought he knew better than the banks and failed in a couple of years. Yeah. Well, you know? I mean, he did have $10 billion of other people's money at one point. So it was a fucking great Ponzi scheme. Yeah. But I think um, what's worth talking about, because I don't know shit about anything, uh, except that I just lost a bunch of money. Right. And like, I, I, didn't put money into crypto that I wasn't prepared to lose. And I think that's probably not that we give financial advice, but that's probably decent advice to give or to think of, right? Don't put money into crypto that you can't afford to to lose because yeah. it can happen. I think any investment. Yeah. yeah. But I think uh, 
for the bigger picture of crypto, I think that it's going to cause it, – it's not going to derail it completely, but it's going to be a massive setback to the average investor because what it has for sure proven is that if you don't have your finger on the pulse and if you're not in the know – and if you're not like really doing a huge amount of research and really staying up to date with all of the security protocols and blah, 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 there is nowhere safe for your crypto. Well, the thing is it collapses so fast. Yeah. Like when Anchor collapsed, I lost a significant amount of money, mm-hmm. right? And that was supposed to be the safest place to keep your crypto on the internet if you wanted to have it invested. Okay. It was Anchor. Right. Like I was told by numerous people, you should put your business treasury there. Right. Right? Like, I'm talking like seven figures. Like, yeah, whacking in there. And totally then, like, safe. In nothing can happen. Bro, in a day. Yeah. Like, like, and I had a couple people go, oh, no, I pulled out. I saw it coming. Like, you didn't, you didn't think to tell me, champ. But anyway, but like, uh, it was like really quick, especially if you're not someone who's checking on the markets That's every it. day. That's it. You know, I was sort of like a casual crypto investor, but I had casual in the sense that I had a pretty significant amount of money in there. Yeah. Um, but I put it in places that were supposed to be safe. BlockFi was supposed to be super safe. Yeah. I randomly pulled everything out of BlockFi like a couple months before it went bust just by total fluke. Yeah. Right? Because after Anchor went down, I was like, hmm, where is my crypto? <laughs> so I kind of <laughs> spent half a day finding all of it and then just go, I'll just put everything in MetaMask. Because mm-hmm. MetaMask sort of can't go down because it's not doing anything except just holding the code right Mm -hmm. like it's sort of an off you know anyway and then from there the rest of it i I put into like a storage thing um just luckily and then you know all these exchanges start going down and i was like fuck the only thing that i have anything left in is binance and i'm gonna pull that out fucking tomorrow yeah because like that's that's to be next because these these crypto fucking children billionaires are just poking each other, going like, I bet I can sink you, I bet I can sink you, thinking that they're going to be the ones that are left. And it's like, no, you're not. Well, that's the issue, and that's what I wanted to sort of talk about, is I think that it, like, this whole thing is going to set crypto back massively because I, I feel like there's there's two, maybe three kinds of investors in crypto. I think that there's people who are like, yeah, fuck the government, like, decentralized. Yeah. We should be able to buy drugs and whatever with, with an alternative currency no one can track. And... You know, that there was a big groundswell of that and people who were really into it. But then the overwhelming majority is people who are like, no, I'm going to rip other people off and I'm going to make a ton of money doing that and I'm going to trick new people into losing money. Well, you look at like the influencers, right? Yeah. <laughs> you know, like, like the whole NFT the kind Jake of. The Jake Pauls and the Logan yeah. Pauls and all the rug pulls they've done on these poor 18-year-old kids. Yeah. Allegedly. Exactly, right? Yeah. So know. there's those. But then there's people who, like I probably put myself into the category of like, oh, well, I guess it's coming and, you know, I've got to get some or else you get left behind and yeah, that's how I ended up in crypto. Just like, oh, well, I guess everybody's doing it, right? And yeah, exactly. And I don't have the time to, like, be so fucking educated But I think that's the all. majority. Yeah. The majority is like, oh, we'll whack 30 grand and see what happens. Yeah. Right? And, and so I don't have the time. I don't have the energy. I don't have the fucking brain power to really become a person. That is what FTX, Crypto.com, and all those places, that is what they're leveraging. Yeah. Hey, just give us your money and you'll be sweet. Yeah. We guarantee 8% returns, yeah. 9% returns, 20% returns. It's like, oh, fuck. Well, and, and I, I can't get that there anywhere. I wasn't even looking for, a reason returns for returns on FTX. Like, I, I mucked around for a little while and, like, traded and, and did all that kind of stuff. And I just kind of, like, I made money doing that. And I just looked at it and I was like, I don't enjoy this shit. And this well, you is, made more code. Yeah, anyway. and, and this is not um, this is not passive income. I'm sitting here looking at graphs all day. And like, this is the, my least favorite thing to do. Yeah, yeah. I don't enjoy this shit at all. So yes, I can make money doing this. 
And yes, I'm at home and I'm not having a workplace, but I'm not, fuck, I don't enjoy this bullshit. I'd rather go out and like move rocks around and I'll make more money than I am sitting here, right? But that's my personal choice. So then I said, oh, well, I'll just buy some like a, a Bitcoin and Ethereum. They're pretty safe. And, and foolishly left it on FTX. And so that FTX is gone, doesn't exist. I don't have that money anymore. So like, like I said, I didn't put money into that that I'm not prepared to lose. But I think that bigger picture and relevant to this podcast and the listeners of is like that radically, I think, changes people's willingness to spend money at the moment. Mm. I think radically changes people like where and how. Well, the now the interesting thing is because you had this like inverse for a while where if the stock market went down, crypto would go up mm. and vice versa because it was like that you had people who were fearful and then you had people who were really like ramping the market. Mm-hmm. So like the kind of world was divided between crypto and institutional. And there was like a lot of people adopting crypto, like mm-hmm. a lot, not as many as people trading the markets and stuff like that, but it was a pretty significant amount. And now what's happened is everyone's scared. Yeah. Because you're seeing, like I went to the fucking, I filled up a car the other day and for the first time, honestly, in a while I took notice. Jesus Christ. It was $2 and 34 cents yeah. a liter yeah. to fill up. And I was like, and if I'm going, Jesus Christ, that's expensive. Yeah. Like I can only imagine. Well, there's people who are making decisions not to fill up. That's, that's yeah. the reality, right? And I think that for the average sort of upper middle class person, you don't think about it too much, right? Yeah. But um, you kind of go, Jesus, that's higher than I remember. Yeah. And you go, oh, well. Yeah. <laughs> but for many, many, many people, they're thinking about where do I go, right? Like, can, yeah. I, can I not drive my car? What, what, where can I cut spending? How can I reduce my cost of living? And then, oh, you know, like I've got my money in this like crypto. <laughs> and then, no, no, you don't. No, no you, you don't. don't have anybody. Yeah. Right? So like, yeah, I think to me, the three types of investors are the real casual mom and pop or just people like me and you that just put money in there and sort of almost forget they have it. Mm-hmm. But now, because, you know, it's so public, then all of those people are pulling out. I mm. pulled out almost all of it. Yeah. I'm just waiting on the last few things to pull out the rest of it. Um, and I just gave it to my wealth manager. Yeah. It's like, it's music to my ears. Yeah. Cause like he's, cause that guy is actively doing stuff to make sure that shit doesn't happen. You yeah. know? And yeah. he's like, bro, crypto's crazy. He's like, it's madness. Yeah. Um, he goes, but the the he said for him the best thing is he now stops getting asked about it because <laughs> they cool. can't they can't legally touch it because it's decentralized, right? Okay, because right? yep. you know, yeah, um, he can do it personally, but he can't advise a client, yeah, you know. Um, so there's, there's them. Then there's like the hardcore people who believe that like they need to decentralize against the government, mm-hmm. you know. And then I think there's people that saw it as. But but explore that a little bit, right? Because one of the things you see that shit in Canada with the Canadian truckers, yeah, and stuff, where they were where freezing they, bank accounts, yeah, it's like, fuck you, man. And so that was a huge case for crypto because at that yeah. time everyone was like, the government is because they yeah. don't like what you're doing is stopping and that's, you having that's money. that's where I side with crypto. Yeah, hundred percent. I side with like, hey, let's have a little bit of redundancy against these fucking crazy people. Yeah. Because the government but, seemed to be getting crazier. But you're stopping the government being able to lock up your funds and handing over to a bunch of 19-year-old kids that yeah. now are able to just steal it from but you. I suppose, like, the... It's almost against, like, Bitcoin, for example. Mm-hmm. Like, Bitcoin is is controlled by no one. Mm-hmm. Uh, well, so we think, right? <laughs> <laughs> so, so the narrative goes, yeah. right? <laughs> yeah. Until later, it's just fucking Goldman Sachs. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Just fucking it was me all along. <laughs> yeah. Wouldn't it be funny? Yeah, that happened. Probably will happen. Probably is happening. Um, so, like, it's supposed to be sort of t- 
totally decentralized. The only problem with that is it has no underlying value whatsoever. There's yeah. no, nothing. It doesn't mean anything, do anything. Yeah. You can't use the Bitcoin chain to do much, but yeah. find more Bitcoin, which we haven't found all of it yet, mm-hmm. which is kind of a weird concept in itself, like how Bitcoin mining works. Mm-hmm. You know, It's like there's it's supposed to be an, a, a code that stops. They don't really know the number of where it's supposed to stop, but we're just making the circle bigger and it will stop someday. Mm-hmm. Then it will be a true finite resource, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but a finite resource to do what? You know, at least with gold, you can melt it down and do stuff. With diamonds, you can do stuff with that. Like, mm-hmm. you can't do anything with Bitcoin. Whereas mm-hmm. Ethereum, I think, has a use case because it's what Web3 is being designed on the back of. Okay. You know, so like there is technology. Like NFTs, I think in the art form, for me, it's just stupid, mm-hmm. right? Like I don't get it, but like, hey, I'm getting old, whatever. Mm-hmm. Young people are like, nah, nah, nah. But like Gary Vee talks about it, like every single concert ticket should be an NFT. Mm-hmm. Like everything that is a single use or like needs to be truly authenticated should be done through the use of an NFT. Mm-hmm. So like I can see that being yeah. a huge technology. Totally. You know, um, for, for art and all, all that kind of stuff, just to track authenticity. Because you just basically scan a barcode, yeah, <laughs> you know, yeah, and then you're done. But everything else is kind of somewhat worthless, like Phantom and so many other networks that are actually trying to build something that you can use mm-hmm. for later on. That I think will have like an emerging technology sector. That's got to be worth something in the long run. Mm. So, um, but like who? But if you store it on something like FTX, it's sort of like you can't do that because then it's like you're you're centralizing it. Yeah. So then all of a sudden it's open for even more fuckery than what the banks, because, like, the reason why the banks are regulated is because all these fuckeries have been done, Mm. you know? So it's, like, all of that has been done. So you almost need to have, like, a regulation on the the centralized versions of it. Mm. And it's a very confusing, very complicated thing because they all they're all saying, No, we don't want to be regulated. It's like, oh, I'm sure you don't. Yeah. Because yeah. you're dodgy as fuck. Yeah, exactly. And that Binance guy, there's no way he's not a fucking scam artist. Yeah. Like they're all anyone, because they've 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 done they they've become what they swore to not be. Well, that's exactly it, right? And so I think that's the issue with crypto as it stands, is that it it is now the worst version of what it was trying not to be. Or the, what it, everything it stood for. Every scam against. ever has come back. Yeah. But they've they've called it something, something different, yeah. and it's like, oh, there's Ponzi schemes and there's pyramid schemes and all this kind of stuff. It's like that's all it is. Mm. Like, and I was stupid enough. Like when I saw like yield farming and stuff like that, I was like, oh yeah, that makes sense, I guess. And then I think back on it like now, and I'm like, oh, that's like I didn't put two and two together that it's a Ponzi scheme mm. because I was like, that's exactly what that is. Mm. You can't just make something from nothing. Yeah, the money has to come in in order for it to be worth more and then you get paid out in the money from the new money from the people like that's how it works mm-hmm. and i was like oh yeah that makes sense now yeah and, it, <laughs> and, and now it has to fall apart yeah it has to fall apart at some stage it must and i wish like that that's the way it should be explained like yes this is a ponzi scheme and it will fall apart just try and be on the up <laughs> you know and then i feel like everyone could play the game like all right you yeah. know <laughs> yeah. instead of trying to bullshit around it yeah. but yeah those businesses are growing you know the people are worth billions Mm-hmm. You know, and I think there's too many back doors to where you can just get out of it. Like if you have like CoffeeZilla, I don't know if you watch his channel, yeah. but he like the good thing about crypto is you can literally track everything. Yeah. So the, you see every transaction. You can see every transaction. So if you know someone's wallet, like he found Jake Paul's wallet address mm-hmm. and then he found all of Jake Paul's other wallet addresses and he could see where money had been sent. And he was like, 
from this YouTube video, you can see how much he was paid to say that shit. Yeah, right. Right? Like, from who, when, like, you know, they're paid in this coin, which hasn't even come out yet. Then they say, like, I think Moonshot was one of the coins that they were going to... Like, anyway, this guy, he was paid fucking hundreds of thousands of Moonshot, which is worth nothing. Mm -hmm. Then from there, he promotes it. Then you can see him dump it that day. Yeah. And it's like, you fucking rug puller. Like, yeah. have a look at that. And all these and these 18-year-olds have invested 100 bucks, and they've all lost it or 1000 bucks. you know? Yeah. And then some 27-year-old moron did 50 grand, you know? <laughs> so, like, it's just, it's everywhere. Yeah. And it's um, it's the, the great, you know, like back in the Depression, before people knew what was going on. Yeah. Everyone's just getting scammed by front and center. Yeah, well, exactly, right? So where do you see this going? Like, what do you think happens now with crypto? I think, like, you, I think it's going to be a rough... I think like everything will bottom out. Yeah. Like everything will get way lower than what it is now. Mm -hmm. And then the only people left will be the hard chargers. Mm -hmm. And then it'll, the cycle will start again. And in three years, it'll be back in the yeah. crazy towns. That's what I, I don't know. That's kind of what I think. People need to forget. Yeah. Once they forget, then they can remember again. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I think you're right. I think that the people who hang on will like who managed to keep it and, and hang yeah. on will eventually see big returns. There'll be people that make a fortune out of this. I think if you bought a shitload of ETH at what you think the bottom is and then just forgot about it for five years, you'd probably make a ton of money. Yeah. So long as you store it somewhere. Yeah. As long as you store that shit on a fucking thumb drive. Yeah. That no one can get access to. Yeah. But I can't be trusted with crypto just because like I forget where they are and passwords. Like I'm not organized enough for crypto. Yeah. yeah. I have a wealth manager. And, like, I would never have a crypto wealth manager because I'm sure I'd be scammed. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Like, because, again, there's no regulators. Yeah. Like, with my wealth management guy, like, he's so regulated. Yeah. Like, everything is transparent and open. Like, but you could just, oh, yeah, I've invested in fucking shitcoin and yeah. we lost everything. Sorry, champ. Yeah. See you never. <laughs> like, the guy's yeah. like, whoa. And bad news, that's not my real name. See you later. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like what's happening yeah so yeah it's just a, it's i think like we're it's interesting because like i think <clears throat> there was a golden age where like oh yeah we're like people made i mean ungodly billions money. of money yeah billions yeah. of dollars like that guy who bought shiba mm -hmm. you know and eight thousand dollars and turned into 5.4 billion or something yeah and he, how much did he cash out how much did I he actually managed get? to get out like 10 20 million yeah right yeah like and he had to employ a team to do it. And yeah, they had yeah. to split it amongst wallets because you can track it. Yeah. So if he was going to dump it, it was going to tank Sheba. Yeah. Right? So, like, they had to be real careful with how they did it. Yeah. Because um, everyone was just tracking his wallet. Yeah. You know, um, years ago, when, well, a couple of years ago, when um, Shiva was brand new, I was sitting in this cafe and I overheard this guy talking about it. And he yeah. was like, oh, it's a response to Doge and it's this and it's that. And he's like, oh, it's worth nothing and it's probably going to go nowhere. But I put some money into it. We'll see what happens. And I sometimes see the guy because it's like where my kid does swimming lessons. <laughs> I really want to go and say like, well, where did you get out on that? You know, like you should ask him. I'm, I'm going to. It's super day. interesting. Yeah, he's just he's a really annoying dude, and I don't yeah. want to get sucked into that. Like it was bad enough when I had to overhear his conversation. Yeah, but um, I'm not sure that I want to invite that into my life because that's fair it, enough. It might be an hour I don't get back. Yeah, and, and I don't care enough. Um, but I, I it, he was onto it. He was telling he was telling everybody as loud as as he could to get in at Shiva right at the bottom. Yeah, I, I mean the difference in the bottom and the top was you know point one of a cent. But there was enough of them. Or billions. Yeah. But right. I mean, like, it never even got close to no, even 0. 0.0001 of a cent. No. You know? no. 
No. So it's very interesting. But I think like the whole, and I think um, in terms of like coaching, consulting, obviously crypto offers would be very, very difficult to sell now. Mm-hmm. Um, someone will figure out a way to like make money out of this. To, to make money out of it. Um, I'm not really sure how, you know, because most of them have been like, grow- it's such a bad time. Yeah. You know? And I'm sure like someone has been shorting all this shit. Oh, yeah. And made a kajillion dollars. Yeah, for sure. Um, I don't know them. <laughs> Me, neither. <laughs> Me neither. But it's been it's been a really interesting use case because it was it was interesting like watching these giant companies just collapse overnight. Yeah. It's like and I just don't know what they were doing mm-hmm. to where they were that leveraged. They must have just got this has gone forever. I'm smarter than everyone. Yeah. And like is that guy how much money do you think he funneled away the FTX guy? I have no idea. <laughs> I, but I think the tricky part will be like the thing that always amazes me about people that rip people off like that is that like especially on that scale where it's that many people is like eventually you have to do that to someone who comes and pays you a visit. Like I just I just find it so hard to believe that someone could rip off that many people or cause the loss of the life savings of that many people and be like, "Uh, oh, I lost it all. I'll go do my jail time or or I'll just disappear to the Bahamas or wherever they go." And someone be like, oh, I'm going to track you down. I'm going to find you and I'm going to pay you a visit and I'm going to take something from your house that is worth the amount of money that I lost and yeah. I'm going to burn the house down with you inside of it. Like, yeah. like that has to happen at some point. Yeah, right? It probably does. Like, and so surely that's on the cards for someone like that. Yeah, that guy. Yeah. You'd have to think it, right? Especially with the amount of celebrities. This is the thing. Politicians that would have had their money in there. Yeah. It can't end well for him. Yeah. You know, and he's ugly. <laughs> I mean, that's a big part of it. So, I mean, like, I can't see, you know. But I'd be interesting to figure out, like, where he's going. Is he going to be prosecuted? Yeah. I have no idea. Probably not. Yeah. Well, I, I, they might. I think because it'll be, it's a government, like, they hate crypto, right? Yeah. And so it's an awesome opportunity to just drown him in front of everybody and then be like, see, this is what. See, that is the problem. There's no consequence. Like, so I know a couple of guys have been done for doing stuff in the NFT space, mm-hmm. but no one's been seriously prosecuted. Mm-hmm. Like no one has been, not, at least not, not, like not to my knowledge, no one's received like a, you know, 50 year imprisonment. Yeah. You know, which well, I think what needs to happen, somebody needs to be the example where they go, oh, they actually, yeah, they actually get you for this. Well, that, I think that's probably interesting as well. Like I think uh, from a government standpoint that they could potentially demolish him and so that then there's some people that are like oh well there was some comeuppance there was some law applied but then that might you know give some uh credence to crypto and people will be like yeah he was punished right like no one will do that again because there was a consequence so they might not want to do that you know what i mean they might want to be just like oh well it's outside of our realm like he, he got away with it he stole i guess that's money. the risk you take yeah i guess yeah, that wouldn't be a bad way of doing it would you it? know what i mean that so that like it depends on what they want to adopt, you know what I mean? And which government around the world. And and since FTX is in all these different countries, 130 different entities that have shut down, like there, I, I reckon there'll be individual responses to each. Yeah. It's a very crazy time though. It's, it's hard enough to even keep up with, let alone speculate about what the fuck's going to happen. Yeah, We, we sold crypto offers and yeah. that, that hasn't happened since the first problem. What do you mean? Like the f- like when the when the big crash happened, sort of. We got uh, out of that offer just before the big crash. Oh really? Yeah. Yeah. Right. So very serendipitous. Yeah. It was a crazy time. 
Do you know what those guys are doing now? I do. <laughs> We're not talking. <laughs> no. <laughs> We're not involved. I'm not involved. Okay. <laughs> Keep it that way. Yeah, we will. Right, okay. Yeah. Good uh, luck to them and their family. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Uh, no, but like that was crazy because like I've uh, that was the first time we hit a hot offer, mm. which was like the marketing, the messaging, the sales, the time, the environment, like everything lined up, and it was fucking madness. Mm-hmm. I mean, like the amount of sales. I mean, it put seventh level to shame. Yeah, right. Like it was that many. That it was you know twenty sales a day, mm-hmm. paid in full. We just every single like. Week, I was like, let's charge this for it. Let's charge this for it. Let's charge this for it. It got more expensive. Mm-hmm. They had an internal team at the time, and their internal team was selling it for one-third what we were. Yeah, right. Yeah. So that that's interesting. Let's explore that. Do you, with many offers, do you have the capacity to uh, work pricing? Yeah, work, yeah, I like doing that because you want to, like, uh, manipulate the close rates to be, like, not too high. Okay. Because, like, you want to, like, you know, it's... it's uh, for example, like if I change the pricing at seventh level for to be three grand for inner circle, mm-hmm. I could sell a lot of them, mm-hmm. an awful lot of them. But the admin required, it's just not worth it. So your pricing needs to be reflective of what you want. Right. Like if I know that I can generate 7,000 leads a month, like on average we make say 250 sales, 300 sales a month at seventh level, right? Now for me is like the head of it, I'm like, well, I can make more money just charging more or we can make more money with more volume. Like where are we at? Cause like, I think like a 35% close rate is really good. Okay. Like that's a really good marker to let you know that, you know, one third, like one of those people is just, Oh, it's too expensive. Mm-hmm. And then it's 50, 50 on the other two. It's like not timing or whatever. Right. Mm-hmm. But you're closing like 50% of like the qualified people who could fulfill the entire bill. Mm-hmm. I'm not talking about using that as a sales metric, but from like a business me- Metric, I want to sell people who can fulfill their entire payment, right? Sure. So if I'm selling one out of three, that's pretty good. Um, so all I need to make sure is I booked a 1,000 sales calls. Mm-hmm. A 1,000 sales calls would give me 300 and something sales. It's like perfect. Now I could make that way easier. I could make 700 sales if I want to. Just mm-hmm. make it cheap as fuck or have rug payment plans. But it's just going to break the mechanisms of the business. So for me, it's like if that if that close rate creeps up to like 40, 45, 50%, it's like, oh, price increase. Mm-hmm. And then like the guys will go, mm, and the close rates will drop to 25 because it's new pricing. And But you'll make the same money. Right, right. Right? Then it will creep back up to like 30, 35% as they get more comfortable. Then it'll start if the marketing gets better and, you know, everyone's doing what they should do for more reach and, you know, we have a book coming out and all this kind of stuff, then we should have more engaged leads with more want, right? So then from there, it creeps back up again. And mm-hmm. then we go, sweet, price increase. Mm-hmm. You know, because like I want to keep that number of sales relatively similar, but if we want to make more money, because I don't want to onboard 700 people a month. I mean, that'd be fucking madness. Yeah. Like just the the infrastructure that I'd have to build would require that we maintain that. Yeah, okay, yeah. Right? So it's like right now I've got an infrastructure that can easily maintain the 300, maybe 500 on the challenge month. Like we kind of, everyone goes like that. And then from there we kind of go back down to our set point. And that's really profitable. Mm-hmm. But if I, if I got up much higher than that, we'd have to like build out so much more that like we'd be obligated to sell that many. Right. So right now the obligation that we have is around that 200. Like we have to sell around 200. 
usually based on price points and that kind of stuff, an average front end cash collection to know that everything's good to go. Mm-hmm. Um, but 200 is a fucking cakewalk. Like, yeah. That's not difficult. Yeah. So I'd rather leave it like that. Yeah. And then just, you know, like somewhat, not cap, but realize that like, you know, if you get one, if you want Tony Robbins, like you can do Tony Robbins. Like we, we could potentially make seventh level that big in the next 10 years, 15 years. Right. But I mean, dude, I, I couldn't even imagine what his staffing would be. Yeah. And it's like, are we making, if I get the business to $10 million a month, like it's a $120 million a year company in just coaching. Like, does the net make sense? Or could I make $20 million net on 50 mm-hmm. and then make $30 million net on 120? Mm-hmm. You know, that's kind of where I would think it would go. Yeah. So it's like, find the sweet spot and then just from there go verticals or horizontals or diagonals or whatever. Mm-hmm. Don't just keep like piling on cause, like a, a business that big just coaching people would be horrendous. Yeah. I think um, scaling up that infrastructure is super hard as well, right? Like you can't just, you can't just add, you can't just go like double it overnight. It's got to grow slowly and then you lose. Well, no, it's easy to double it overnight. That's the, that's the bad thing. How do you mean? Well, it's really easy just to throw people at it. Right. Right. So the hard thing is doing it incrementally. So it's actually way easier just to go, all right, well, let's just take, let's do a $400,000 budget for the next 30 days or it's next, next 90 days, build the infrastructure, just pile people and process into it mm-hmm. and then go. Right. That's actually not that difficult. Okay. Um, what's difficult is doing it incrementally and doing it like on a budget. Right. Like that's. How that, come that's more difficult? What What is it about that? It, it's because like you're, you're, it's because like you sort of have to do it on really short term planning cycles because like you don't want to, if, if you want to maintain like an operating expenses to revenue sort of ratio, which is what I'm trying to do, then it's like I have to project out my revenue mm-hmm. and then I've got to project out my operating expense and then I've got to like titrate that because you're you obviously you make more money towards the back end of your year than what you do the front end if you're growing, you know? Mm-hmm. So then it's like, okay, well, I need to set my OPEX budget at say three hundred and ninety thousand and then three ninety and then four fifty. So like it means that I have to plan it out very meticulously and make sure that I don't over infrastructure with people, but I also don't underdo it because if you are growing, then you have to grow with people as well. But doing that at the right ratio is really tough. It's actually easier just to flood it with people and then try and have the revenue catch up. Yeah, right. Okay. Yeah. But it's like yeah, so what's the downside in that? Well, the downside of that is that you end up with like four months of no money. Right, because you got everybody to it. Or, or, or in the build-up, you mean? Yeah. Yeah, okay. So because your revenue's got to catch up, but that's not a guaranteed. Mm. Just because now you have higher fulfillment and, and, and better operations doesn't mean that you're going to move the needle on a revenue standpoint. Right. It means that you move the needle from a deliverability standpoint. You, you have the ability to earn more money, mm-hmm. but you haven't done it yet. Yeah. So like that's the trick. And that's like that's what, you know, that's why you borrow money. Like you'd borrow money to do that. Mm-hmm. And that's what we've done in the past was like dump infrastructure then try and catch up, dump infrastructure, catch up and like I think that's a good way to do it early on, but then as you get to a level like if I was to increase our opex dramatically, I mean it would go to like quite high levels. You know, you'd be going you'd be approaching seven to eight hundred thousand dollars a month in fixed bills mm-hmm. if i was to just kind of stack it up to where i think we're going to be at the end of the year like the opex that i projected projected for the end of the year 
I think is a million dollars a month, mm-hmm. right? For the end of 2023 at seventh level. That's my operating expenses. Mm-hmm. So staffing, all that kind of stuff. That doesn't include ad spend and commissions. That's separate. Mm-hmm. But that's a lot. Mm-hmm. If I was to do that now, that'd be a real issue. Yeah. Okay. You know, so I've got to figure out a plan to build that up over the next year to where it makes sense so we can deliver what we want to deliver at the end. But if I do it too early, I'll cash starve the business. Right. Which is no bueno. And then you can't grow because you got no fucking money. Yep. You need to throw money into ads and stuff like that in order to grow. <laughs> so, mm-hmm. so it's a really hard sort of dichotomy because it's like, well, do I throw the money into ads now and then build up the revenue but deliver a shit service for three months? Mm. Right? Or, which is easy, but shitty. Yeah. Or do I throw a bunch of money to people and then build all the people side up, but then I cash starve the business to where now it's really difficult to grow the business because I don't have the extra funds for the... Mm. What are the downsides that you've seen, you know, if people do grow too quickly without having the operational side of it? So the back end isn't done. So it just get, falls apart. You just get refunds. Yeah. And so but what does that look like usually? Like within that, deli- like the delivery, you mean so like I can tell, I can tell you exactly what or? happens. Yeah. Right? So... What what happens is the first thing they do is they throw they're just throwing all their money's ads. Right. Right? So you're you're like I've seen people go from five hundred a day to twenty thousand a day. Okay. <laughs> right? Yeah. And I'm talking in like the span of six months. Right. Because they have us doing sales and I have not infinite, but I can just shove salespeople into an account. Like if it's going well, I can just add, 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 add. Okay, so so they've on. never experienced that before. I can go. Yeah. So like, let me paint the picture. I, I'm a business owner. I've got a, a course. It's a $3,000 product. Um, I've had a, a marketing budget that has been working fine. I've decided I'm going to outsource the sales. You take over my sales. Yep. Uh, and suddenly my sales double because, yep. because someone who knows what they're doing is doing it. Yeah. I then go, Wow. Imagine if I spent more money. Imagine if and I And they go, Hey, I'm gonna increase the ad spend. I go, sweet, just let me know just let me know each week what the spend's gonna be increasing by and then uh whatever like expected leak call volume, I'll make sure the people are there to hit it. Okay, cool. So I right. go from five hundred dollars a week to twenty thousand dollars a week. A day. A day. Okay. So I I now have twenty times the amount yeah. of You've leads now got about twenty you. sales reps. Yep. Right? And you fulfill that, no problem. Because no, no. it's fine. We can. It's my job. And yeah. The sales reps continue on the trend that they were, maybe yeah. conservatively because it's a yeah. new guys on it. The, they don't the, sell the, quite as well. Yeah. So then, that, well, it's it's not that. It's it's more like there's just so much volume that like mm-hmm. the quality can't stay. Okay. Right. But things are still going well. Everything's still profitable. Then what happens is like you'll hit. It's usually around like I don't know. I've seen like ten thousand a day is when it can get really really pear shaped. As soon as you go over two thousand a day, everything changes. Okay, everything changes at two thousand a day. Yeah, uh, as an ad spend, you're talking about. Yeah, like like it like if you picture Facebook advertising as a highway with billboards, mm-hmm. there are only so many billboards, mm-hmm. right? So ad placement is where do I put the build? Do I put it on the on ramp, the off ramp? Do I put it? You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So media buyers are just placing media. Mm-hmm. I'm going to put it here, 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 and here to these people with these interests and all this kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. At that level, it is fucking difficult. So the frequency at which people see your ads becomes much higher, mm-hmm. right? So as soon as you start spending that much money for that long, everyone's seeing your fucking ads. Mm-hmm. Um, so as soon as it starts creeping up, cost of acquisition will naturally creep up, mm-hmm. right? Um, and then especially if you're fulfillment shitting the bed and you've got refunds or like, 
you're just not able to deliver. Like at one point we were selling, you know, like 50 to 60 done for you Amazon stores a month, like, and then the courses on top. And so it's like the guy had to fulfill 60 businesses a month. Mm. <laughs> you know, they're 70 grand a pop, yeah. whatever it was. It's just fucking silly. It was yeah. crazy, right? Um, and then, you know, we started getting complaints. Anyway, it's a whole thing. But what generally happens is we'll go, hey, man, like lead quality is getting really poor. Like the longer you do that for, the worse the leads will get. Sure. So then we'll put filtering mechanisms in, right? Because we were just getting everyone. Because like after a while, like everyone's seeing your ads for so long. They just fucking opt in out of curiosity. They just almost, click it because they just right? want it to stop. Yeah. So they're like, all right, well, let's see what this is all about, right? Yeah, yeah. And then like the demographic gets worse and worse and worse and worse. Mm -hmm. Because they open up targeting to be more broad and more generic to account for the amount of spend to bring down frequency. Okay. So then what we would do is we'd bring in filtering metrics so that like this before they even get to the sales guys, they have to answer certain questions. And based on volume, we'll slide those metrics up and down. So we're always full, right? Because uh, we don't want to be over full because then nobody turns up like because they're booked out 14 days out. So we just always try and stay full for like 96 hours, right? Right. Um, so, <laughs> so then what tends to happen is like when the leads get a lot worse because their targeting becomes so broad, like cost of acquisition, because we have to start filtering tons of leads because they're just like, they're in no position to buy anything. Mm. So we have to just filter them all out. And then from there like cost of acquisition starts creeping. Mm -hmm. This is when I come to the table and I go, hey man, this is what's happening. Cost of acquisition's climbing, close rates are lowering, it's the same team, it's a marketing issue, mm -hmm. but you're hitting it too hard. You have to back off your spend. Mm -hmm. Like you have to, man. Otherwise, like this shit's going to collapse. Your delivery can't handle anyway. Let's back off a little bit, regroup. I can help some delivery mechanisms or whatever, point in their hands the right to people. Let's give, let's get some content out there so we can get some goodwill mm -hmm. in the marketplace instead of just, you know, just going ads. And they go, nah, I'm going to spend more money. Mm -hmm. like, Great idea. Mm -hmm. This is a fan. This is never going to go. And that's the time where I go, hey, this account's got three months left. We need to start looking for a new one. Right. Right. And, and then for sure enough, they just start chasing revenue mm -hmm. because they're now used to making $3 million or $4 million a month. So now what they do is they go, and they ramp it 20,000 bucks a day, mm -hmm. 25,000 bucks a day. Right? <laughs> and you just see cost of acquisition skyrocket 10, 15 grand. Mm -hmm. Like it's madness. And it's like, they're just chasing revenue. And then what happens is like, as soon as like the, so you should be doing like a reach and a conversion type of marketing, right? You got reach, you're putting stuff out there and then you're trying to convert a percentage of them. But when you start spending money like that, you, you outpace your own market. Yeah. You outpace you. So now you have people who have no idea who you are being marketed to, you know, makes no sense. So then they just outspend themselves into fucking oblivion. Mm. Um, and in no meantime, none of them have put any money into delivery. Mm -hmm. So now they're being attacked by the FTC, the Better Business Bureau, fucking personal lawyers, all that kind of stuff. And everything goes to shit. And that is the life cycle of a biz up coach. Okay. <laughs> but I think um, the bad ones anyway. We say that like of a biz op coach because that's the especially difficult delivery, right? Yeah, you um, got to start a business. Yeah, so there's a real limit on that. Have you ever seen the similar thing, but where the delivery is easy, like where it's a you know it's an online course and there's a, a zoo, like there's a, a monthly coaching call or something like that. The deliverables is you get access to a portal. Have you ever seen anyone burn that out? Yes. But no, but their program is really good. Okay, like I've seen them just exhaust reach. Right. 
right? Like okay. just like you got nothing left. Yeah. Because they just didn't put the work into like making themselves really marketable. Mm-hmm. So like one of the business, but I think also there were some background reasons. They did, I think they sort of did it on purpose. Okay. Right. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Um, but I've definitely seen like coaches that, like you see a lot of coaches that will come up and then sort of fizzle out. Mm-hmm. A lot of it's just because like they managed to hit like a hot hook, you know? Uh, like right now the hot hook is done for you appointment setters. Okay. Like a lot of appointments, that's the, sort of the hook, right? Like get tons of appointments through having these savage appointment setters. The only problem is like all of them suck. Okay. <laughs> like, you know what I mean? Like my appointment setters would outdo them 20 to 1. Right. Because I put my numbers up of like, well, this is what I get my guys to do. Mm-hmm. Like, what did you get your guys to do? Like, that's not even possible. I was like, that's literally the minimum. Okay. Like, <laughs> you know? Yeah. You know, so appointment setters is a big one. Closing, clo- done for you sales agencies right now is, is, is really big. Yeah. Um. Like I do it, been doing it for a while. Yeah, I think we're like the OGs now at this point. Yeah, yeah, which are like the most established. But there's a couple other ones, a couple of other sales guys that I fired for being terrible at sales that have started some. Out to them. Yeah, I wish them all, <laughs> wish them and their families all the best in their future endeavors. Yeah. Um. So like you know, th- those are kind of hot offers. I think at the moment, mm-hmm. I think done for you is definitely killing done with you. Mm-hmm. You know, there seems to be like a real waning of like the just pure coaching agencies. Sure. They seem to be really struggling. And the ones that actually bring something to the table, you know, that can do something for you. Yep. That's, that's really. So, so the risk. Like we we have so many inquiries at sales sniper, like we couldn't. For done for you. Just done for you sales. Yeah. 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 Well, it's a first world problem to have. Yeah. But I also think that that model as well needs to probably be evolved. So we're looking at evolving that model just to make it more long-term. Okay. Cause it's like right now it's like, it's a great model but it's a great model for a business in a specific part of its growth. Right. You know, whereas like, so like there's a, there's an end to the relationship. Mm-hmm. So what does like, that look like? Soon as usually as soon as someone gets to like, you know, over eight figures, they want to bring everything internal. They want to bring everything internal, which, which makes sense, mm-hmm. you know? So like, but they're, they're not equipped to run or manage that team. So like what I've seen a lot of the time is we be to build a business up to a million, million five a month get replaced by an internal team and they have this huge drop off, mm-hmm. you know? And it's like, well, yeah, man, like I, I cultivated that, mm-hmm. you know, it took me a while to figure that out. Yeah. You know, like there was one business that we, we, we were doing the external sales and they had an internal sales team and the ROAS that we had was 24 X. Right. And their internal ROAS was like six. Okay. Right. So return of ad spend. And they, they spent seven months trying to fire us mm-hmm. and could not figure out how we were doing it. Mm-hmm. They just, they only, we were so much more expensive than their internal team that it was not until their internal team got to eight that we got fired. Right, okay. Because they were paying like way lower commissions to them. So the actual profitability, even though our return of ads was so high, the profit was the same at that point. Right. So then they removed us. Right. Right. And like, I didn't really care, to be honest. Um, but they just didn't, couldn't figure out how we were doing it. Mm-hmm. And they were like, how are you doing it? And I was like, why would I tell you? This makes no sense. Yeah. You know, but had they come to me and said, hey, we'd love you to help build our internal team. Yeah. I would have gone, okay. Yeah. I can do that. And then I would have built out an internal team for them. So what we're looking at doing is like done for you sales that transitions into like us building out full internal systems and structures, recruiting for that, training them, managing them, then pulling our closers out, managing that team for like another 12 months. Yeah. And then recruiting and hiring a sales manager and then handing it off. Mm-hmm. So it's like a two-year relationship, you know what I mean? So it's like build it up, 
maintain it and then leave, mm-hmm. you know? And then that way the business has an interoperability. Cause if we come in, like we do everything, mm-hmm. they wouldn't have a clue what their sales process is. We tell them everything they have to, they have a clue, but no one cares. Cause yeah, if it's working, they don't give in. a fuck. Yeah. Right. Money coming in, money coming out. It's all working. Those guys, those guys have got it covered mm-hmm. and we do, but like that transition has to happen in that model. I think for it to be a really long lasting relationship. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, which is what we're working on at the moment. And because we've been, a sales agency for a long time now, you know, I, I know all the pitfalls of the model on both sides of it. Mm-hmm. Cause I have a coaching company, you know, which hired sales snipers are done for you sales team. You know what I mean? So like, yeah, I know both sides. Yeah. So, so um, let me just take a step back with a really good delivery mechanism that doesn't need scaling. It's online itself. People just go, they, they get access to a portal, maybe a zoom call, whatever. Um, the big risk where you see people fuck themselves in that space is just because they can deliver fine. It's just their cost of leads that, or their cost of acquisition that, that impacts it to the point yeah. where there's probably a sweet spot or you hit a point of diminishing return. Yeah. Um, For a lot of businesses, it's like 300 to 350 K a month. Okay. is like, that's a real sweet spot. Right. Like that, that seems to be the, the point where people struggle to grow past. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think they struggle to grow past it because it's so profitable at that point. Why would they? Yeah, okay. Like, it's not that they don't know how to. Yeah. It's like, well, man, just build out some delivery, do some more content, spend more money on advertising. Mm-hmm. Like, it will work. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Like, go out there. But they get stuck there because, like, it, sometimes at a coaching business at 350K a month, you can run it at 60% net. Mm. Yeah, right. That dude's taking home $175,000 a month into his personal bank account. Uh, why fuck with that? Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know? And the problem that I always had with businesses is that they were like, yeah, we want to scale, but they didn't want to fuck with that number. Yeah. And I was like, well, well, dude, like that, that number has to drop. That number has to drop. Yeah. Like you can build, but the problem is you're looking to get to 600 or 700 before you make that kind of money again. Right. You're going to have to like nearly triple the business or double the business to get back to a point where you're making the same money that you were personally when it was half the size. Mm-hmm. And like a business that's twice the size is four times less fun to run. <laughs> <laughs> have you ever had that conversation with someone and they've gone, oh, well, fuck it. We'll just stick with what we're doing. Oh yeah. 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 All the time. Yeah. It's so a really you, good conversation. Yeah. Like you talk people out of growing, out of bringing you on, or, or you're probably already doing the sales, right? But like talk them out of growing and say, Hey, let's just coast along doing what we're doing because you're going to make less money if we get any bigger. Yeah. Or the thing is like, if they want help with growth, it's like, all right, cool, man. Like, what do you make now? Like you got to tank that to like a 10% margin for a bit. Wow. You know, so it's like, because if you really want to grow, like if you really want to grow aggressively, then like that's what you want. But like that, the thing is, I think people, what they say versus what they actually want. Like if I was to go, okay, what if we grew at 2% month over month? Mm-hmm. Wonderful. Wonderful. Sounds fantastic. Like the compounding effect is actually pretty significant. You're looking at probably growing 100% throughout the year, mm. you know? Um, so like that, but it doesn't sound that sexy. Yeah, yeah. Like all of my projections have been off... Four percent per month. Okay, that's usually what I average out at. So, like, and they're usually pretty accurate. Four mm-hmm. percent gross per month compounding is a pretty significant growth. Yeah, fuck yeah, that's huge. Yeah, yeah, yeah. but it doesn't sound very sexy. No, no, you know. Um. So the other thing you, you sort of touched on there was the uh, reach versus conversion. Mm. They said that if you do too much conversion advertising, you out you outpace your reach. Yeah. means that people who are, um, let me see if I understood correctly. People who have never heard of McDonald's are not going to be interested in a Big Mac. Yeah. So if you're advertising 
to sell more than you're just putting out free content about your product or awareness or at the least, you know, depending on what the product is, but just having people know what it is, that is actually what's going to drive your cost of acquisition so much higher because yeah. you're now marketing to people who don't it like they're seeing your ad but don't even know what the fuck. Yeah, you like are. if you're paying, I'll just use like like random. If you're paying for a million people a month to see your advertising, mm-hmm. but through your organic or like your conversion material, but if five hundred thousand are seeing your content, that's a real problem because mm-hmm. twice the amount of people are seeing you try and sell them something versus you are trying to give them value. Yeah. So like, that's why branding is a thing. Mm -hmm. Like it's why like, you know, Coca-Cola would have a $150 million a year branding budget Mm -hmm. with no discernible KPI. Mm -hmm. Just, Hey guys, go out and spend this money. Yeah. Making sure that people know. Make sure people keep keep recognizing the logo. Exactly. Like that's it. And so, like one of the initiatives that we're looking at, like that I've been asked to, to price out by Marco is like the hiring of a very high level CMO mm-hmm. to do nothing but branding for any PQ. Yeah, right. That's it. So it's like, and he wants to burn 200 grand a month. Wow. So. On that alone. On that alone. Mm-hmm. He's like, he wants to have a $200,000 a month budget to just burn on branding. Wow. And I was like, <sighs> That's a lot of money. Yeah. That includes a CMO. Mm-hmm. So Yeah, so that's the salary of the person. It's a salary, but I mean, the salary is not going to be that. <laughs> <laughs> like, the guy's salary probably 300 grand a year. You know, yeah. Three, 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 400 grand a year for like a really good high-level CMO that's done branding. He's got to go recruit someone, and the recruiting fee is going to be like fucking 100 grand. Yeah. You know, so. Um, but what would that look like? You know, because I think that's one of the tricky things about NEPQ, 7th level, is like it's sales, but it, it's kind of niche you know what I mean? Like everyone can drink Coke, right? Like one out of every eight employed positions is sales. Okay. So and every single business has sales. So that would be the goal then is to like make that the, that's, oh, well, if, if we you got, need well, sales, the thing is, you should right. have someone doing any PQ. Yeah, exactly, right? right. So the, the problem is like we have Jeremy. Jeremy is a finite resource. Mm-hmm. I can only get so much out of him. Mm-hmm. And then I've got seventh level, and I don't know if seventh level as a name, because it's not a method, it's just a name, mm-hmm. has the legs. Mm-hmm. So it's like, but any PQ is a method. Mm-hmm. So like methods will outlast the person who, if it's good, the person who do, you know conceived it. So mm-hmm. like, sev- like any PQ should be able to get larger than what Jeremy is. Mm-hmm. You know, so like, because if we want to remove Jeremy, like have from needing to be the guy on camera, which is a really limited. Yeah, yeah. You know, because yeah. like right now we have people who desperately want us to do keynotes. But it's like, well, I mean, how much flying around can I do from that dude? Because yeah. he needs to do three to four training sessions a week with our clients. He needs to shoot 50 reels a month. Mm-hmm. Each reel is five minutes, mm-hmm. you know, to get it gets cut down. He has to do like 10, 15 podcasts a month mm-hmm. on other people's podcasts. He has to do four a month on our podcast. Like, mm-hmm. it's a lot of content, man. Yeah. Like, so like he's a finite resource that I have to sort of manage. Mm-hmm. Um, and and so all that content goes into the that basket of reach. Of reach, right? yeah. yeah. And so the reason why, like, like our advertising budget is a joke how small it is. Mm-hmm. I mean, like, we're, we're, you know, we're spending a tenth or a fifth what some of the guys yeah. who are like our competitors are. But I mean, realistically with Jeremy, that is because people know him and now your advertising is just giving him a link to click, right? Like that's yeah. really what it is. By the time yeah. you're seeing an ad for Jeremy, you've been 
following him, you know who he is. Yeah, but that's sold. just not that hard to make. It's yeah. like that's a difficult thing to engineer. Yeah, right. So we've engineered that and it's taken us a year to where now it's like hitting yep. the traction levels. Like I was talking to our content repurposer and she was like, you can see all the data where like some of these inflection points have now started being hit mm-hmm. where like every reel does this and every YouTube video does this and all mm-hmm. the followers, like you can sort of see it. It's like the platforms, like they make you, it's almost like they're like, hey, if you want people to see you for free, uh, like you gotta, you gotta give us your time your energy, your effort. Yeah, you need sure. to prove to us that you have the stamina to do this over the long term. Yeah. This is not just a flash in the pan cat video guy. Yeah. Because we're sick of those cat video guys because no one buys shit from them. Yeah, yeah. Whereas like with Jeremy, like he is a hyper monetizable asset for Facebook, mm-hmm. for YouTube. Like so once they figure that out, they will open up the floodgates to him. Mm-hmm. And they'll be like, everyone will see your shit because we make a ton of money off you. Yeah. You know? Um, How much of that do you think is real person driven versus algorithm? Uh, I think it'd be all algorithm. Do you reckon they ever have at those companies, they have meetings on that, on shit like that? Oh, for sure. I mean like, listen, there are like some crazy people who have like, like the young Turks. Yeah. Right. Like they're getting prioritized on every fucking platform, Mm -hmm. you know, but their content is for the most part, fairly garbage. Yeah. Like just the production. It's just not that interesting. Yeah. But then you got Steven Crowder. Yeah. Has phenomenal content. Like, yeah. he gets downregulated and everything. Yeah. Because people don't like him. Whether you agree with him or not, that dude's a fucking showman. Yeah, yeah. He's hilarious. Yeah. Interesting segments. High, well, well produced. You know, same with Shapiro stuff. I mean, it's excellent. Mm-hmm. You know? so But it's because it's the political thing. That yeah. You look the at the Young side. Turks numbers and... Yeah. They go the fucking, other way. They're crazy. But I mean, like, some of their key investors were also key investors in yeah. YouTube and stuff like that. So, like, it all kind of makes sense. Mm-hmm. I don't have a problem with that. Mm-hmm. I can make a profit. Go for yeah. it. It's not like it's a publicly owned platform. It's a private company. Yeah, yeah. Fuck yeah. Yeah. But I think like for the most part with something like Jeremy, like it's not like anyone at YouTube's like, we should really we should really give a fuck about this Jeremy Minor guy. Yeah. You know, I but I think at more. some point maybe they do, right? Like at, at a certain point in those platforms, they look at people as individuals and they get like like Casey Neistat can call someone from YouTube. Yeah. Right? You know what I mean? Like he can call someone and say Yeah. Hey, I, I I want this. Or so I, I feel think with this two, way. there's two things though with that. It's how much money you spend on the platform. So Grant Cardone can call someone at YouTube. He's the highest spender on right. Facebook and the highest spender on YouTube. Right. Right. Mm-hmm. So like he calls, they answer. Mm-hmm. The other one is how much do you make them? Do you make them? Yeah. Which is Casey Neistat. Yeah. Who's been making them ten million dollars a month, or whatever it is. Yeah. For a long time. Yeah. So and like he's created so much stuff that is just evergreen. Mm-hmm. That you know, he's a cash cow for them. Yeah, so forever. I think it's what you spend, and I don't think, I don't think we would get to the level of either. Okay. So I think like we'll be picked up. Like I was talking about, I was talking about Brad, and like his content now is she showed me all the content curves on his channel. It's crazy, mm-hmm. and it just went like that, yeah. just skyrocketed. Yeah, and it was like the critical mass had been hit, mm-hmm. where like the relevant score of the profile was high enough, so. She so Mandy had a meeting with Instagram because she she knows them and, and YouTube and Brad's relevant score had never dropped below a ten. Right. Okay. So on Instagram, like he is the perfect Instagram. Right. His Instagram is perfect. I love to hear that. It is never. <laughs> every single post is a relevant score of ten. Yeah. Right. So like it's so appetizing for the people that follow him. Mm-hmm. 
it's perfect. Mm-hmm. So that's why it just goes. They've never put a dollar into a shout out. Nothing. Yeah. The dude's gone from like 20,000 to 800,000 in a couple of years. Yeah. Just through 100% organic posting. Mm. I think especially um, there's a viral sound with Brad. Have you heard that, like it's him talking about you are the content. You don't like don't try and make content. You are the content. Uh, and that got you like that became a trending sound. And uh, my guess is that brought a lot of people to him. Like that would have been a tipping point for him because yeah. when that came up in my feed, it's funny you think that wasn't engineered. No, but uh, I've talked to the people. Oh, really? Yeah. Yeah. Well, of course. Like, yeah, yeah. I'm sure that they did it on purpose. Yeah. I've tried to do it as well. I've got like yeah, sounds yeah. of me going like, "Fuck you," and hoping <laughs> that people make funny things out Subscribe, of it. Subscribe, you fucking idiot. Yeah. Like yeah, I've yeah. tried to pull it off, never successfully. Yeah. But like, I even think, like the making of fake accounts and stuff like that is a strategy to get you to boost. It's an interesting strategy. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Expand on that. What do you mean? Oh, so like uh, the reason, the only reason why you get a blue check, re- the only actual reason why you get a blue check is to stop people from thinking. That someone is you. Yeah, impersonating. That's you. it. So. Yeah. If you want one, you could make an account. I would say if somebody was to make lots and lots and lots of fake accounts. Yeah. Then one, the good thing is you control those names. Mm-hmm. So like if you have a profile that you want to protect, just make every other profile. Mm-hmm. Make with the underscores and the E in the wrong place and, all you know, real Matt Ryder and, mm-hmm. you know, real Matt Ryder and all that kind of stuff. Yeah. So making fake accounts is a great way to justify needing a blue tick. Yeah. But also it's a great way to protect people from having fake accounts. Yeah. 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 So occupy those spaces so other people can. Yeah. It's really, really good. Yeah. Yeah. Jesus, you could go down the rabbit hole and do that to a million different things though, right? Like, yeah. Like people get creative about where the underscores are and all that kind of shit. Yeah. But I think if you've got like all the low hanging fruit ones and maybe it's just, you know, it's like an alarm, you know, like locking your door doesn't stop people from breaking in. Yeah. Yeah. Stuff's the people who can't be fucked actually trying. Yeah, yeah. Which is most of them. That's a good point. You know? That's a good point. Yeah. I think it's a good point to end on. Totally. All right. Well, we bounced around a bit. Started on crypto. We had our winch. Oh, I had my winch. Yeah. Sorry. <laughs> you you have been heard. <laughs> Fucking crypto. I'm going to start investing in guns and ammo. That's what I'm going to invest in. Yeah. Uh, all right. right. And then we Good quality soil. Stuff. Yeah. That's where it's at. That is where it's at. If you like this kind of stuff, let us know. Hit us in the comments. Like the video. All that kind of stuff. And we'll see you next week. Bye. Put that coffee down. Down. down.